right, welcome back to another episode of the Legacy Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Evangelisti. I have a great guest on today who has built himself uh, multiple portfolios of uh, mobile home parks and has raised funds uh, to do so. Uh, Kevin Bump has a background in mobile home park development, um, has done multiple single families, has has a real estate investing background, and I'm sure a wealth of knowledge to share with our guest today. So I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, Kevin Bupp. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Looking forward to being here. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, for hanging out with us today, Kevin. I mean, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe what you got going on today. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I've been investing now for like 19 years, going on 20 years. So pretty much my entire adult life. Um, Got started in single family, you know, uh, built up a quite a large portfolio of single family properties in my in my twenties. Moved into apartment complexes, built up quite a, a nice portfolio. Um, Two thousand eight came and and went um, completely wiped us out. Took a couple of years to to get our our footing back again. And um, back in two thousand twelve was kind of when that footing came back to place. And and you know the the entry point that we went in at was mobile home parks. It was uh, a niche that we had never um, entered into before, didn't have any experience with, and um, bought a park back in 2012, went really well, bought a second one, bought a third one, bought a fourth one. You know, the story goes on and on. And so for the past seven years, um, we have become somewhat experts in the, the mobile home park space. Uh, we own parks today and um, it's either 12 or 13 different states. I'd have to count them. But uh, so we've got uh, thousands of units that we have underneath ownership. And uh, that's our niche. So we, we typically put together uh, fund-like structures uh, where we raise capital from high net worth individuals, uh, accredited investors, and, uh, and we partner our own parks together. Again, we've got them in a number of different, different states, and uh, that is our day-to-day. You know, we've got an entire infrastructure built around buying and owning mobile home parks. I love that, man. I, you know, one of the things that hits me like right off the bat is just from an infrastructure standpoint, how you manage things in, you know, 12 or 13 different states. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what does that look like? I mean, do you have to buy something big enough to put a manager in place in each space? Or, you know, maybe is there something, uh, you know, unique about how you guys operate that way? Yeah, no, you absolutely do. I mean, the size is very important. Um, you know, there's got to be enough uh, revenue from that individual property to justify uh, being able to pay someone that can be your eyes and ears there on site. And uh, uh, the more revenue you have uh, from a community, the, the better quality, you know, or better talent manager you can get there in place. And so each one of our respective communities has a an, either an on-site individual or a team uh, sometimes even more than uh, two people, three people, depending on the size, um, that run the day-to-day operations. So someone that's there uh, collecting rents, scanning rents uh, into our bank account, uh, delivering late notices, working with vendors whenever there's an infrastructure problem in the community, um, showing available homes that we have might have for sale, what have you. So they, again, they're, they're the day-to-days, the eyes and the ears, boots on the ground of that community. If you've got a really small community that, let's say it's, you know, I don't know, 20 lots or something like that. Um, there's a good chance if it's in a, the norm, a normal part of the country, when I say a normal part of the country, there's some places like where you live where lot rents are really high, where you might be able to still justify finding a manager because maybe the lot rents are $600 a month. But the average lot rent across the country is somewhere in like the $300 range. Uh, so if you've got a small park, um, doesn't generate a lot of annual uh, income, you might have a very challenging time finding anybody uh, to handle that day-to-day uh, for what you were able to afford to pay them. So um, not that you can't, but you know, you get what you pay for, right? As far as talent's concerned, most of the time, um, if you're willing to only pay someone 
four bucks an hour, then you're probably not going to get the best quality person to run your park for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, no, I mean, I, I, it's obvious. I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get what you pay for and you got to get, uh, you know, the numbers have to make sense. I mean, the, the interesting thing, um, I think to me is that you got so many people in, and you made this transition and, you know, I'm in this real estate space, uh, talking to so many different people who are constantly looking for, um, a way to level up, especially in that single family space. And you started in the single family space. Um, you, why mobile home parks as opposed to, um, you know, other types of real estate, right? You got guys that are uh, guys and girls that are transitioning. They're looking to go to that next level. And they, you know, they see people that are constantly fighting for the apartment complex or the retail space or the office or self-storage yeah. or whatever that thing may be. What drew you to, to mobile home parks? Specifically? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, I learned a lot of lessons, um, you know, leading up to the crash of uh, 2008. Uh, I had uh, originally been trained buying single family rental properties. So we, you know, built up quite a large portfolio of over 120 uh, single family uh, homes uh, before that crash happened. And it was very time intensive. N number one, just to buy that many properties that were, you know, buying holds. Uh, and then the, the management um, and the maintenance part of running those when they were spread out amongst, you know, three or four different counties uh, was an absolute nightmare. And so it was very inefficient. And um, that kind of led me to, you know, buying apartments back then, you know, because there was a more concentrated number of units underneath one roof and it just made uh, a, a, an, an easier maintenance um, and uh, just overall management um, uh, property versus you know, a bunch of single family properties. And so in any event, what drew us to mobile home parks, it was everything that everything in my life has kind of happened by accident or maybe it's the right place, right time. I'm not sure. Maybe just being aware of the moment that I'm in. I'm not sure what it is because I'd never considered mobile home parks. However, as I was trying to figure out how to rebuild myself um, back in 2011, um, again, having three years off of investing in real estate, started a few other businesses, um, knew I wanted to get back into real estate, but knew I didn't want to do single family homes based on the inefficiencies that I saw. And I wanted to do bigger things. Um, I really loved the, the apartments that I was in and I wanted to do, I thought I was going to get into that space. However, I had lunch one day with a, a mutual friend, a guy that I'd never known before, a mutual friend of ours introduced us. His name was Randy. Um, Randy owned mobile home parks here in Florida. He owned three of them. Um, some very nice parks, but, um, I wasn't going to lunch with Randy to learn about parks, more so just to meet someone new, someone that was successful, interesting, what have you. However, that lunch meeting turned into like a two-hour lunch. And uh, during that time, uh, we mostly talked about what it was that Randy did, which is mobile home parks and why he did it, why he loved the asset class. And he bragged on about it for, you know, for, again, for, for nearly two hours. And uh, some of the big things that just really... Uh, stuck with me during that time together was, and he was kind of, he was making comparisons to like apartments. Like that was the best apples to apples comparison he could give me uh, as far as why mobile home parks and not apartments. Um, you know, a couple of the big things are, um, you know, number one, the turnover rates a lot lower and you've got most of the folks in these mobile home parks own their own home. It's very expensive to move these homes. Uh, most of the folks that live in them, it's just like in a single family, you know, residential neighborhood. Uh, they live there for a number of years. They're not like moving from home to home every year like a renter might. And so, um, and if they do want to leave, it's very expensive for them to do so. Uh, you know, on average, $5,000 for single wide and sometimes up to double that for a, a double wide or a bigger home. Uh, and so what happens most of the time when someone needs to leave the mobile home park, let's say they get a job transfer or um, maybe they're just leaving the area for whatever reason, they put their home up for sale. They continue paying lot rent. That home sells. New buyer comes in, moves in, and then takes over the lot rent responsibility. So there's never a hiccup um, like you might have in an apartment where you've got someone that moves out, 
now you've got two months of, of no revenue, plus you've got make ready costs to get that unit back in condition to, to move into and make it habitable again. And so we don't have that much of that in our space. Another big thing that he kind of pitched me on was, you know, since you have mostly homeowners, you've got a, a lot less uh, management intensity. You know, the day-to-day of, a, of running a 100-space mobile home park to a 100-unit apartment complex is like night and day. It's a part-time job on the 100-unit apart- uh, mobile home park, whereas it's probably like two full-time jobs on the 100-unit uh, 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 apartment complex. Uh, so that was a big one. Another one that he kind of sold me on was the, the massive barrier to entry that existed uh, in the space. Uh, municipalities, for whatever reason, municipalities don't like mobile home parks. They just don't like them. They've got a, uh, they've got a, bad, uh, a bad image associated with them. They've got the negative stereotype. Um, some of them deserve it. A lot of them don't. Um, but however, it pretty much sticks across the country. And so the chances of someone going into any city or town throughout the country and actually getting approval to build a new mobile home park is uh, uh, maybe like a half a percent chance of that really happening. Um, and so what that means is that whatever park we own and it's in a good market, good school district, we don't have to worry about uh, a competitor coming down the road and purchasing a vacant piece of land to develop a new mobile home park. And so the you know, the insulation factor of competition is there and it's real and it's nice. You know, we don't have to worry about the oversupply that can happen in the other types of asset classes. Self-storage is a big risky endeavor as far as oversupply happening or new units being built or too many new units coming on to where the market can't absorb it. Apartments, it happens, right? Um, We don't have to worry about that in our space. And so those are some of the big ones. Um, You know, others would be, you know, higher returns typically when compared to apartments. Um, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the typical owner demographic and that's slowly changing of, of mobile home parks is like an older mom and pop. Uh, a lot of these owners are, they own just one community. Uh, they're aging out of them. Uh, it means that they're at the point in their lives where they've owned it for 35, 40 years and they either want to sell because they're tired or they need to sell maybe due to health issues or just it's that time of their life. Right. And so that, that represents an opportunity as well for us to go in and actually treat it a little bit more like a business than maybe what they have over the past 15, 20, 30, 40 years of, uh, of their ownership. So in a nutshell, those are some of the bigger ones uh, that attracted us to that niche. And, uh, and they've, uh, they've kind of played out over the seven years that we've been here. So we've been real excited with our results and, and, uh, and absolutely love the space. Well, man, you sold me. I mean, I'm sitting here with, with my <laughs> some single families thinking like, Check, 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 ROI, ease of management. I don't have to, like, this is like, that, I mean, that, that sounds amazing. I mean, you know, you don't think about a lot of these things like, like the low turnover, right? Somebody's parked mm-hmm. somewhere, like they're not moving that thing. They own that, they own that, uh, that, that home. Um, that, like, like, what's the chances of them picking it up and moving into a different park? That, that can't yeah. happen too often. Um, you know, what is the real management that happens, right? Is move-ins and move-outs and connections and so, and so forth, right? But, mm-hmm. but how often does that really happen? Um, you're not managing or, or maintain, maintaining the actual unit, right? They're, these are owners, so they're taking care That's of That's right. Um, yeah, so you know, plumbing issues, uh, roofing issues, air conditioning goes out, any of that. They're calling their own vendor. They're calling their own plumber, their own electrician. They're not calling you. That's not your responsibility. Our responsibility as far as the uh, as, as far as the park's concerned, is the the infrastructure, so the roads, and then the water and the sewer lines, you know, leading up to their home. But everything after that point on their lot into their home is their responsibility. Which uh, um, it, it's a complete game changer. I mean, it, it, it's it's the difference of getting calls nonstop every day for maintenance issues to really not getting any at all. You know, and so I, and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to paint a picture that these things are practically no 
uh, no involvement to manage because, uh, you know, in a perfect world, Joe, we wouldn't own any of the mobile homes inside the community, right? Most of these parks were built with the intention of every single resident being a homeowner. However, over time, things happen. Um, you know, people pass away, their heirs don't want the unit. And so what happens, uh, just like if someone were, were to leave like a vehicle or parked on your front yard and they just abandoned it, after some point in time, you actually have a legal right to, to obtain the title and the ownership of that car. Same thing goes with these mobile homes. And so just by default, what happens sometimes is, is the park owners end up owning uh, one or some or a lot of these mobile homes if they don't kind of play their cards right. And so we, throughout our portfolio, we own about 2,000 units. And uh, I think we own somewhere uh, about 10 to 13% of the actual units in the communities, not by choice, but just by necessity. Either we acquired the park and it, it was being run that way already, and we just you know, acquired parks or uh, trailers, um, or an example of what I just shared with you, like someone passed away and air didn't want it, and all of a sudden we've inherited a couple different trailers. Um, our goal, though, is to sell them off. Our goal is to renovate them, and then turn around and find another homeowner that, that truly wants to own that home outright and, uh, and be a part of our community. Like that is our ultimate objective is to get off underneath all the day-to-day -day management of maintaining that unit and just lease them the, the land, you know, the dirt that their mobile home's on. Awesome. Well, you, you almost led me into my next question, which was, you know, you, you talked about the positive. You painted the great picture. There's, there's obviously a lot of upside to uh, what you're doing. You painted a little bit of the negative, a little bit of the downside. Um, I want to go back to, you know, what led you to where you were. You said that you, you kind of survived the crash. Um, you know, Kevin, can you I don't know about survive. So, well, you, know, you got through, you're still here. Yeah, still I'm still here. I'm alive, right? You know, I like to talk about like what I call favorite failures or favorite like, like speed bumps along the way, right? Do you have any yeah. of those type of, you know, failures that you think set you up ultimately for your success and got you to the place that you're at at this point? And is there any stories like that that, that you might be able to share with our guests? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, any any uh, decision we make right at this moment in time alters the future course of our life, right? Anything, historically, if you go back and like change a moment in time, we might not be talking here today, right? And so uh, I'm a firm believer that although 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, all those years were incredibly challenging for me, still looking back, the hardest time of my life, you know, the most difficult days of my life, working through um, you know, just lots of foreclosures and judgments and just um, creditors and you know, tens of millions of dollars owed and, and, uh, and, and lost my, I know it sounds like a sob story that you hear from all these different gurus out there, but I really did. I lost my personal residence and, you know, it was in foreclosure and I, I literally lost all, all my access to credit, you know, uh, driving a used car that was literally, you know, like 12, 13 years old and I didn't have the ability to go buy anything. I literally couldn't go like buy a new car. I couldn't even get a car loan. And so, but I, I tell you that all those hard times, like while you're in the trenches, while you're like, you're in there, your feet are dirty, you know, you just, you're kind of down yourself. You know that there's a silver lining. At least you, you'd hope that there is. Um, you, can, you can never see, at least at that point, the uh, the forest through the trees. Um, you, you can't see what that the light in the tunnel looks like. However, you just have to have that faith that it's there. And um, and I obviously, if, if things would have worked out differently back then, then I probably would have never been led to mobile home parks. You know, and I think that this has been a game changer in our business. I mean, you know, finding this asset class many years ago, now it's. Uh, now, now it's like the next hottest thing, right? Like literally what I've seen transpire the past year uh, as far as interest in our asset class, I mean, massive private equity firms diving into our space with billions of dollars. 
that that was not happening. I promise you, even two or three years ago, let, uh, let alone seven years ago. And so, I would not have been led to this opportunity if it wasn't for the massive uh, downfall that I had as a result of 2008. So, I mean, that's just like probably that, that is by far my largest failure, um, and it's a it's a big one. But there were some lessons and some um, you know habits that that came out of it, and uh, a new perspective for life, and just you know rebuilding myself. And honestly, I had bad credit leading up to like. I think until like 2015, I really didn't have any decent credit back. And so I had to learn to live with no credit. I had to learn to get people to, to believe in my dream, this dream of, of buying, you know, buying parks and partnering with us again. And hey, this is, this is the new way. This is a way to, to kind of rebuild. You want to come along for the ride. And, uh, you know, prior to that, it's kind of like today. Like today, it's really easy to make money in real estate, I feel. Like, you know, banks are throwing money around left and right again. Um, there's tons of high net worth individuals out there just looking to place money in different deals. And you know, this, it's just hot. There's deals going around everywhere and you got to get in now or else there's not gonna be anything left. So it's kind of easy to make money now. Um, that's kind of how it was leading in 2008. However, it was much more uh, difficult 2012, 13, 14 to get people to, uh, to, to trust, especially if it was uh, with someone like myself that had gone through a very challenging time. And so anyway, it just, it made me a better person, a bigger man. And, uh, and ultimately I think a, a better leader and, and business owner. So I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for as far as a, a big failure, but that, that's a big one. And, uh, and it really has shaped who I am today and, and has shaped uh, us into the business that we are today. Now, listen, brother, I appreciate the share. And I think that, you know, that it's so important that, um, that, that we're vulnerable and we talk about these things because there's so many people listening, like you said, that, um, you know, maybe haven't been through those struggles or haven't pushed through those type of things. And, um, you know, maybe take for granted and maybe, maybe not, you know, but maybe take for granted the ability that um, sometimes you have to be down there to push through to, to, to experience, you know, the feeling of what it, what it, what it really feels like to work to that success, right. To, to, um, to, uh, to, to have the, the gratitude that uh, uh, the reward of, you know, pushing, pushing past, right. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to be at the bottom to, to, to really, you know, justify getting back up and, and, you know, taking yourself back up to the top. And I think that this market is, is making people um, overly confident and, and yeah. uh, in a lot of ways, making them feel successful uh, without truly earning it in, in um, you know, by doing the right thing a lot of times, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I, I tell so, you, one, one good lesson that uh, uh, I guess practice, whatever, whatever you want to call it, that, that kind of uh, I learned during you know, those very dark days um, you know, there's certain days that were good and other days that were kind of like, man, I suck. This is horrible. You know, it's like, I'm never going to dig out of this hole that I'm in. Um, I learned to go through a mental exercise of like, you know, uh, you know, things are really bad today, but you know, let's take it a next step. How much worse could it get? Okay. Can I, can I manage? Can I survive? How much, okay. From that point, how much worse can it get? And like keep working backwards to find out in my mind, what is realistic of how bad can this really get? And then how bad is that really in the grand scheme of things? And I think it, it, it tends to give you perspective of like, you know what, even at your worst, worst point, no matter how bad that is, if you keep following that exercise back 10 steps, what have you, uh, there's still millions of people, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people in this world that their daily life is way worse than how bad it could ever possibly get for you. Um, and yeah. that you still have way more opportunity than, again, the majority of the planet. And so stop bitching, stop moaning, you know, pull your pants back up and uh, get back out there and, and, and make something of it and, and fix, you know, or correct what you've, you know, what, what's, uh, what's been wrong here for the last couple of years. So it's a great exercise whenever I'm feeling down, just kind of mentally go through that and then very quickly realize that I'm just internally bitching and moaning and that I need to 
get my ish together and, uh, and, and, and start moving on with life. A hundred percent. And by the way, you can curse on this podcast. Okay. I, I fair was, enough. I was literally last night. I mean, just, just a side note. I was, I was, my, my seven year old was in the shower and she's one of these just stands in the shower and just lets water run for, for 20 minutes on end. And, and, uh, you know, I, I was sitting there telling her like, you know, you got to stop wasting water. And, and, and as a, as a, as a kind of relate to that, if you've watched the new Steve jobs documentary, uh, on Netflix, um, he's trying to solve big world issues. And one of the issues yeah. he's trying to solve is the fact that, uh, you know, there's, there's major, major water issues in Africa. And, uh, one of those issues is really trying to deal with human waste. So they basically designed this toilet that will uh, incinerate human waste and actually turn it into clean yeah. drinkable water, which is just out of control. Like how yeah. you can like Bill Gates. Stuff you up. Bill, I'm not sorry, Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. Not, not, yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I've watched it. So it's quite yeah. impressive. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right. But you know, just, but you know, you know, if you live in America or, or anywhere basically in North America and you're listening to this, uh, to this podcast, I mean, you have to count your blessings of the opportunity that, that, that we absolutely, have. um, so anyway, the, the backtrack for a second, um, uh, Kevin, what, what's some bad advice that you hear being given out in the industry nowadays, even, even in a great market, you hear, you hear all kinds of crazy stuff being rattled around. What do you hear that's, uh, yeah, being viewed right now? Uh, you know, I, I'm a lot, I'm around a lot of syndicators that raise capital. Um, and I'm around a lot of syndicators that are just getting their foot in the door. They don't have any prior track record and they're out there raising capital, um, kind of leaning on the, and there's nothing wrong with it. They're leaning on the experience of maybe another uh, experienced sponsor that they're kind of maybe teaming up with, what have you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot, a lot of ill advice getting passed around about, you know, opportunities that are, that, that are, you know, capital's being raised for. Uh, as you had mentioned, you know, you, you know, there's, uh, um, uh, I don't know if you maybe said the term frothiness, but anyway, there, there's, uh, there's lots of deals being done today that, seem fairly risky, uh, not just to me, but I think, you know, to, to lots of other experts out in the industry. And so, um, I think that, um, as far as bad advice is that, you know, kind of what happened in 2006, you know, like buy now because prices are going to continually go up, right? Like if, literally if you don't get in today, um, like this, this deal is not going to get better than what you see here now. Like, you know, the, the, the course of, of, of the U S is changing. Everyone's turning into renters. I get that. I get that, that, that there really is a massive shift there. However, that doesn't mean that like I'm speaking to like apartments, um, that there isn't a, a point in time to where there is an oversupply in certain marketplaces to where, um, there's some type of major economic event that causes a, a slide back or an economic slide back or some type of recession, right? Something to where, you know, maybe growth stalls or rent increases stall, um, or again, there's an oversupply and, and now you've got vacant units, you've got concessions that have to be given to where maybe this pro forma is not really going to model out exactly how we've shown you it's going to do over the next 10 years. So just, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily bad advice, but I, I see a lot of uh, uneducated investors getting, you know, investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in deals as passive investors that number one, they don't know anything themselves being a passive investor about the asset class the person they're giving money to who might be raising capital for an experienced sponsor, uh, them themselves really don't know much either. And so like there's multiple layers of like, this person really doesn't know other than theoretically um, this business. They, it sounds well, like, like their, their pitch is great, but mm. like the practical experience really isn't there. Um, and I think that where you have to go to look is, you know, the actual sponsors themselves, you know, are they, and there's nothing wrong with this. You know, there, I think there's two different types of investors. There are those that got started prior to this great recession 
that either didn't make it through or made it through, whatever, you know, whatever happened. Um, and then those that started after, like, you know, on the uptick, right? If you started buying in 2011 and, and you continued buying up until today, it's very hard to lose money. No matter what, no matter what decisions you made, the same held true with investing from like 1999 after the dot-com bubble to 2007, 2008. Like you literally, I mean, sorry, you could be an idiot and you can make money. And uh, you just want to make sure that you're getting in bed with the right person, that they truly, number one, they've got a track record. Number two, um, what's plan B if things don't go as, uh, as, as laid out on that pro forma? Because um, things change, man. The, the, the capital markets change. You know, if a plan was to refi and do a cash out year three, what happens if in year three, you can do a refi, but you can't do a cash out, right? Like, how does that look for you as an investor? How does that look for the entire investment itself? Um, what if you can't do a refinance? You know, what if cap rates go up a little bit and your exit was, ba- your, your, your performance based on a certain exit and that number's not accurate, right? Are there variables in there as there have been stress tests done to these deals um, that make it a, um, a somewhat of a, a safe investment, you know, low risk investment. So I think just lots of that going around, um, some are really good operators and some are just, they, they don't know anything and they're just out there raising, you know, tens of millions of dollars of capital. So I think that's risky. Yeah, I, I love that answer. And actually one of the, one of the things that I always point out to, to my investors, you know, we've raised lots of private money in the single family space as well. And mm-hmm. I always say to my investors is, you know, you know, ask me about plan B or let's talk about plan B, right? We, like, we've always had multiple exit strategies. I think it's crazy yeah. when, when you talk to somebody who's borrowing money and they can't tell you what plan B is, right? Or they're not even willing to discuss plan B or they don't have plan B. Like, you know, like if you're not willing to have an open discussion on there, there's a risk to this investment and here's what happens when shit goes wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then, you know, that's either, either not somebody who's seasoned enough to, to understand um, what's going on or, you know, is not willing to have that conversation because they just don't know the answer. Right. And I think that either way, that's that's a scary situation to be involved in. Um, And, you know, investors should be wary of that thing. So, you know, definitely finding somebody that you have the the capability to, um, you know, answer those questions for you. Right. Well, you know, if you're if you're going to be a passive investor, um, if you're someone that, you know, maybe have another business and, you know, you've just done well for yourself and you're putting money in deals. Like you should have a, a pretty fair understanding of like the underwriting and how to identify potential challenges within that deal. Um, again, I just see too, too often uh, investments being made haphazardly and literally, you know, someone that literally doesn't know anything about real estate. And that's, that's fine to a certain extent, but if you're literally just betting on, you're just betting on the horse, but you don't know anything about the trainer. I mean, it's, yeah, you're basically just you're rolling the dice, right? I mean, betting, so betting's the primary the word there. I mean, go to the casino if you can if you can yeah. afford to, to waste that money in the casino, then 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 hey, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yep. agreed. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. Such a good I, think, I think we're on the same. I think we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome, awesome. So a uh, couple more, couple more uh, questions I'm gonna throw at you, Kevin. What, give us. Uh, you know, top one to three books that uh, maybe you've gifted in the last couple of years or, or that you, you're currently giving out or that you uh, truly believe that changed you? Uh, yeah. Uh, as far as gifted, I'm trying to think back. I mean, one that was recent that I gifted everyone on our team and a lot of friends and family is The Go-Giver. Um, I, I can't recall who the author is. That book, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one or not, but yeah, a wonderful book. Um, as far as uh, 
another, uh, I mean, think and grow rich is kind of a, a classic, right? I mean, I've given, I don't know how many people over, over the last 20 years, it was given to me as a gift, you know, back when I was 19 and, uh, and I have reciprocated gift many different times to many different folks along the way. Um, uh, probably another big one was, uh, um, you know, any, anything Robert Kiyosaki wise, but rich dad, poor dad. I mean, I think that j- just the basic fundamentals of, of investing and getting your money to work for you. Um, I've given that to a lot of family members. I came from a very, you know, very much a blue collar family. You know, it's all about just, you'll know, get a job, not even get a college education, just get a job out of high school, work, shut up, don't talk back, you know, and just, you know, be happy with what you have for the next 35 or 40 years, whatever you're making. Um, and uh, never really thinking about, you know, liabilities and assets the way that's taught in, uh, you know, the basic fundamentals that are, that are taught in uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I've given that to a lot of different family members because majority of my family, um, uh, is very much the poor dad. So, uh, from, from every different walks of life of my family, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just how we're all raised. But, uh, so those are the big three books that I've, I've gifted over the years. Uh, as far as, uh, recent books that I've like read that have, that have just been awesome. And I wish I read more than what I do currently. I feel like I go through phases where uh, I'll get into kicks and I'll just, I'll knock out a bunch of books, whether it be audio books or, or physical books while I'm traveling on a plane or driving. Um, but, uh, and then I go through other times where I literally don't read books for like four months. So I, I I've got weak points as well, just like everyone does. <laughs> uh, Sam Zell, uh, his, uh, I think it's called Bullshit Walks. That's a book that I recently finished up, which is pretty awesome. Uh, another one is uh, Anti-Fragility. Uh, I'm, I'm actually about halfway through that one. It's a, it's a monster of a book, but uh, hmm. that one is, is quite interesting. Um, it's all about you know identifying uh, and, and, and realizing opportunities and growth during very, very stressful moments in your business. And uh, there's not really a, a, there's not a real word for the, you know, there's not a real, um, uh, um, anonym to, uh, fragility or fragile. And so that's just kind of, a, it's kind of a made up word, anti-fragility, but like, that's what it's all about. It's all about identifying what opportunities for growth are happening, um, at your company's most vulnerable point, which is typically when th- that's the opportunity to where you can realize the most growth. And so how, how to kind of ca- capitalize on those really hard moments in your business. So it's, it's a great book. Man, I love that. I was just talking about this last week in my mastermind group. I think sometimes like when we're pushed to our edge and we're stressed out the most, that's when I find personally, and I think a lot of the people, I I see it personally as I watch the guys in my group do this, that's when they have the best breakthroughs, right? It's almost the same, same concept, right? It's like the more stress, sometimes it forces you to become your best. You know, it's, it's, it's also, it's almost, it's almost like, um, uh, it, it's, it's the opposite of what you would expect or it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, you would think that the, the stress would, would break you. I feel like some of us who, um, you know, we kind of seek this kind of thing sometimes, you know, almost, uh, it's almost, uh, like, uh, it's crazy, right? Crazy to think that we would go after and kind of seek these uncomfortable moments. But sometimes we get, we get super stressed out and backed into a corner and that's when the breakthroughs happen and we start to realize that, you know, we, we, we can find ourselves at a whole different level that we didn't even know we were capable of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I love it. So speaking of that, I mean, what do you do? Where do, who, what do you, who do you turn to? Or what do you turn to when you feel like you're overwhelmed and stressed out? I mean, you know, based on- What do that, I turn to? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I got two young boys at home and an awesome wife. So, I mean- you know, that, that, that's, that's a little bit of, I guess you could say an escape. I try not to take work home with me and I try to like have dedicated family time when I get home, when I leave the office at night. So, um, and I'm pretty good about, about truly separating work from, from family life, unless it's an emergency. So that's a good escape for me. 
you know, we love traveling, both my wife and I, and as a family, um, you know, I, I, I do a ton of bike. Like one of my hobbies is uh, bike riding, like bicycling, like long distances. So okay. um, I put together a, a large charity event every year that's coming up in November where we take three days to cycle to Key West, it's like 208 miles, raise, raise you know, a bunch of money for a couple of local charities here. Um, I've done some really long, like multi-day, long distance, you know, thousand plus mile trips. And so I like, you know, things like that where I literally, when I get on the bike though, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't listen to, to audiobooks, which would be a, you'd think it'd be a perfect time to do that because it's kind of dedicated focus. However, to me, um, you're not truly releasing when you're still got business on the mind. And so if I truly want to get away from it and I normally ride like at like four 30 in the morning. So it's super early. It's dark. I just literally put some music in whatever is like, you know, on my mind that day, as far as what's going to get me all jacked up and going and uh, listen to some music and go ride for like two or three hours. So that, that to me is a, an awesome release. Just zone out. I love it. That's it, man. Zone out, zone out, just <clears throat> focus on the road ahead of me. Not think about anything else other than the music. You know, a lot of the music I listen to, like I'm kind of an old school guy, whether it's like rock or rap or I listen to everything, uh, but it's typically older music. And so there's, there's always like a kind of a hook or an anchor to a particular song that kind of takes you back to a certain period in your life. So I like that, you know, it's a little bit of a reflection moments and, and uh, you know, jamming out as I'm riding along. <laughs> so I love that. It's amazing how music does that to you too, right? Yeah. It yeah. Absolutely. Back to that moment. So uh, obviously it's a legacy blueprint podcast, Kevin. So, so what does the word legacy mean to you? Yeah, I think just building, building something that to you means purpose purposeful, you know, like that, that actually has a, a positive impact, whatever that might be on you, but also everyone else around you that you touch on a regular basis. Uh, if, for that fact, even folks that you don't touch, right? But not only that, but something that is truly sustainable. So like whether it's a, a business or, you know, whatever it might be, a charitable endeavor, whatever you're going to build, build it with the intent of it being sustainable and it being able to share that positive impact on, on everyone around it. Um, whether you're there or you're not like truly, you know, we could all leave this earth tomorrow. Um, you know, but whatever you've done up until that point, will it live on without you being there? So to me, that's what legacy means. Awesome. Brother. Awesome. man. So, uh, you know, I want to respect your time. We're hitting about 40 minutes right now. I mean, is there anything that we've missed that we didn't cover anything you want to, you want to get to? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you tell me, you tell me, I mean, you know, your listeners a little bit better than I do. So, I mean, is there something that, uh, that you feel is the utmost important for them to, to know? Um, uh, I think we got some you know, I, I, stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. And I was, was going to say, I mean, I know this is so, so simple and so elementary, but I mean, you know, just get out there. I, I don't know if you've got folks that listen in that are just getting started, you know, um, but I think the important part, a lot, another thing I'm seeing a lot of nowadays, you probably get the same thing being that you're kind of a public figure and you're doing this podcast you get a lot of folks that are just they're trying to get started, trying to get their footing, and they, they reach out, um, and they're all about me, me, me. You know? And so they say, you know, I'd love to pick your brain. I'd love to, to take a 30 minutes of your time or what, what have you. And I, and I think you're probably just like me. You love helping people. Um, in fact, it's probably a fault, right, because you literally have a hard time saying no. At least I do, because um, I love helping everyone that that's looking for a hand, because I wouldn't be where I'm, not, where I'm at today if it wasn't for a, a hand up in the world. Yep. But with that... As you folks listen in here, the, you know, the ones that are saying, yeah, I, I need to get going. I need to get started. I want to reach out to Joe. Figure out how you can add value to Joe or whoever it might be that you're reaching out to. Don't think about it as a, as a me endeavor. Think about how, how can you help them, that individual, grow their business, improve their business. Like, What can you bring to the table? Because know that the person you're about to reach out to, they're already doing what you want to do, and so they don't necessarily need you. you know? and, I, and I don't mean to be harsh there, but 
how can you bring value to the equation? And that can come in many different forms. That's for you to figure out. But um, always be about giving back, not about taking. You know, the, the receiving will come by default if you find out how to give in abundance to that individual or individuals that, that you're looking to um, you know, associate with. So that's all I got, my friend. That's all I got. I love it, man. And I want to add one more thing to that because it's funny you bring that up. I actually, there's just two things that I do in, in, in regards to that exact thing. Um, and, and one, just to tag along to what you just said, every person on this earth has some sort of value to add to others, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people reach yeah. out and they're like, well, I don't know what kind of value I have to add. Everyone has some kind of value. I don't, I don't care yeah. if you're, you're the best cake maker in the world or you're great at social media posts or you're great, like whatever it is, you're a great copywriter. Everyone has value to add. So don't think that because you're not great at, uh, you know, finding mobile home parks for Kevin to buy that you can't create some kind of value in Kevin's life. Mm -hmm. um, I've done two things that have changed the game for me, Kevin, to protect my time because I am that kind of guy that used to be really, really bad at saying no. Um, but I'm also very, very um, protective of my time because you know, we can make money almost infinitely and we know that, um, but we can't create more time. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, when people reach out to me now, uh, I usually ask them a couple different questions. And one of those things will be, um, you know, how can I help? And a lot of times they will go on and on and on about what they need, what they need, what they need again, not bringing value. And then what I'll say to them is, okay, here, here are a few things I would do and, and go do them. Right. Cause they, they always want to, they always want to pigeonhole you into a meeting. When can I meet you? Where can I meet you? I want now. I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you dinner. I'll you know buy you coffee. Yeah. Whatever. You do these things first. And what I find is ninety-five percent of those people will never will never get back to you. You know. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know. Boom. You'll never hear from them again. Yep. Five percent yep. of people will do exactly what you tell them to do, and they'll they'll get back to you. Okay, I did it. This is what happened. Those are the people that we'll spend time with, because yep. the the people that truly care about your time. <clears throat> They care about investing in your thoughts and they want to know what it is that it, it takes to, to get to earn your time, basically, because they value your, your opinion. Right? So um, I think I'm sure. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to share with you a million dollar idea that I think you might be able to, to take advantage of and it will help more people along the way. It's something that we yeah. recently started doing. Um, so what I've done is when I started my podcast five, five plus years ago, um, in the very beginning for the first couple of years, every Friday I'd set aside like two or three 30 minute slots where I'd encourage our listeners to reach out just to, just so I could get to know the listener base. And, you know, that was my way of giving back other than just the content I gave. And I actually really enjoyed, it. I look forward to it every Friday. I got to meet a lot of people, got to meet a number of investors that have, um, teamed up with us over the years. However, I got to a point where I was just way too busy to be doing it. And, um, and it stopped for a couple of years. I just restarted it back up probably about six months ago, but how, what I've required of, of everyone that reaches out to me, uh, if they want to schedule a 30 minute time period, they have to number one, agree to do it via video, something that I'm going to record and that I'm going to re-release out there as, um, you know, as, as content to help others. Because most of the questions that folks have as they're getting started, as they're running into brick walls along the way, are the same questions that, you know, millions of others have, right? And so how can we help more people with those one-on-one -on -one conversations that we're having? And so that's what I've done. And so I've, I've found that um, the folks that maybe felt like they, they, they weren't going to bring value to the equation or they weren't going to be mindful of my time, 
will not come on the camera, will not know that it's getting recorded. Like they'll just, it'll filter out all those kind of time wasters. Uh, and the ones that do come on and that are willing to be vulnerable and get recorded and know that it's going to get shared with the world are the ones that truly will more than likely take action or have put some thought behind that conversation. Like they, they're coming into it mindful and uh, hopefully with some value for both myself, but also more importantly, you know, the people that are going to be listening to it. So I, I, I thought that was a way for us. That's a way for us to internally create more content, help a lot of others, but also still maintain that one-on-one interaction with our listeners, which I really enjoy doing. So that my friends is multiplication right there. If you want to know how, how to multiply your time, that was it right there. That was a great takeaway, man. I appreciate that. That was awesome. No, I mean, the truth is that that's, that, that you, that, that's, that's great thought process and it's also creating value in multiple different ways. And that's, that's just, that's, that's what it's all about. That's how, um, you know, true visionaries think and protect their time and create value for multiple people at the same time. So, um, I love that takeaway. I think it's awesome, you know, so Kevin, I appreciate you, man. And uh, quick question before I let you go. Yeah. Um, get you back on track in that in that light. Uh, generally, we end our podcast with anybody that leaves us a five star review and uh, gives us a comment about this episode when we release it. Would you give them fifteen minutes of your time? Schedule a video call. All right. Yep. Awesome. So there you have it, guys. Um, if you're listening to this this show, uh, make sure you leave us a five star review. Put it in the comments that you listen to the Kevin Buff show, and we will pick a random winner sometime the week of the show release, and we will get uh, reach out to you guys directly and schedule you a 15-minute coaching call with Kevin directly. Kevin, I appreciate you being on the show, and we will put all of your contact details in the show notes as well, whatever it is that you want to release. Uh, thanks again, Kevin Buck, for being on the show. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. 